Sometimes I wonder to myself, why can't I just be happy? I'm living with the memories that's running in my blood, loaded in my bones and buried in the mud. But music is my medicine, my life is the evidence. I realize that ever since my people called it prevalent, coming from the Rizzy Raz with words of intelligence. And if I wasn't hell bound, they might say I was heaven sent. They say they wounded my soul They say this land is their home Dig up my ancestors' silence our songs even if they do apprehend our children and put them in residential schools or foster home as you can hear from mary ellen's uh terpel's report from 2007 to 2014 some of her recommendations are exactly about maintaining culture and language even if a child is in care and now we have barbara harris in the house with us it's 159 co-op radio time how you doing Good, thank you. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Barbara Schlitzer. Ah.
Welcome to the Arts Report for April 9th, 2014. We have a special treat for tonight. Botanist Nicole Balston is in to talk about plant sex in anticipation of her appearance at the ongoing Nerd Night Vancouver. We'll be talking lots about the Versus Festival of Words and giving away tickets to the Canadian Indie Poetry Slam Championships. Stay tuned. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sarah Lapsley, your host for tonight. It's nice to be back. It's a beautiful sunny day on campus, and I noticed the CBC were outside, and I think they were here kind of today and maybe another day interviewing students about graduation and and what kind of challenges students graduating face getting employment. And I think I think they do face challenges getting employment. Uh, It's tough to get a job. So it'll be interesting to see what the students have said. They've been interviewed all day. Um, And yeah, just a nice happy day at CITR. And I'm very glad to have Nicole and Kaylee in with me to talk about Nerd Night Vancouver. Hi. Hello. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Um, So I'm Kaylee Byers. I'm a PhD student in interdisciplinary studies here at UBC, and I'm one of the organizers for Nerd Night Vancouver. Wow. Well, I want to talk to you about that. And also... Uh, My name's Nicole Balston. I actually work full-time at the Beauty Biodiversity Museum here on campus. My background's in ecology, and I'm lucky enough to be speaking at the upcoming Nerd Night event next week. Excellent. Okay, well, why don't we talk about Nerd Night? I just got an email and I, uh, I was like, wow, this is cool. So it, it's just been since the new year, is that right? Yes, we had our first event in February. Okay. And then it's you hope to do it as a monthly event? Mm-hmm. So the plan is to have it every month. That's sort of what most nerd nights uh, worldwide do. So there's over 75 nerd nights already. I think we're actually at 79 now. Um, and everyone tends to have it every month. Some of them do it every two, but our goal will be every month. Wow, so it's a thing. It is a thing. Yeah, Nerd Night is actually a thing. Um, It's really popular. It's kind of blown up. It's sort of like a, it's interesting. It's sort of like this nerdy franchise. So um, you go to a Nerd Night and if you love it and there isn't one in your hometown, people sort of set one up. And that's why it's just, it's catching like wildfire. Who started it? So um, the people who started it, there's Chris and Matt. They started it down in Boston. And the first event was there. Um, And Chris was a PhD student, and he would do his work abroad in Africa on the indigo bird. And every time he'd come back, he would go to the bar and tell everybody about his adventures every single night, drinking like a good PhD student would be doing. Um, And with time, the bartenders essentially said, okay, Chris, like, we really like you, and we love that you're funding our business, (laughs) but um, we really need you to just do this once, because we're tired of hearing the same story all the time, so we'll give you, you know, we'll give you a projector, we'll give you a mic, and just tell your stories the one time, and that's how it got started. Interesting, Mm -hmm. yeah, because PhD students can really hone in on their area and get nerdy. We get super nerdy about our area. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay, that's great. I didn't realize it was a thing, and they sort of said something like, how how would you conceptualize it? They said something like, it's TED Talks, but better or something. Oh. What was the tagline? <laughs> yeah, the better would be a hard word to sell. We're definitely not as expensive as right. TED Talks. We're only $5. Um, but sort of the motto that everyone uses is, it's like the Discovery Channel with beer. So, okay. Um, you go, you learn a little something, and the whole while you get to have beer, you get to hang out with your friends. It's really relaxed. 
Oh, great. So how like how long is a talk? Like when you do your talk, Nicole, how long is it? So the talks are between about 15 and 20 minutes, depending on the presenter, with lots of time for Q&A afterwards. Uh, There's also intermissions between the talks for people to interact with each other, which is a really great opportunity to get to meet people in different fields or about information you haven't heard of before. So is there an expectation to keep it kind of tight like a TED talk? Well, it's definitely not as tight. I mean, we sit there with our little timers and we definitely let the presenters know that their time is running out. But if they're they're going over, I mean, it's fine. It's really not that big of a deal. Now, if we're 10 minutes over, we're going to start cutting it so we can get into the next presenter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never want to like go into another presenter's time. Exactly. So, well, how about we start with you, Kaylee? What, what are you doing for your interdisciplinary degree? Just curious. Oh, yeah. So um, my research looks at zoonotic diseases. So diseases pass from animals to people. Um, <gasps> I know. <laughs> Terror! <laughs> uh, and I'm part of the Vancouver Rat Project. Um, it's been in the media a little bit here. And I look at rats in the downtown county side. Um, So I'm going to be looking at whether or not the fleas that are on rats are carrying diseases that they can transmit to people living in close association with them. Like my eyes are bugging out of my head right now. Like the bubonic plague? Yeah, that's one we're looking for. That's for sure. So um, one of the great things about Vancouver is we have the ocean and we've got that beautiful international port, but rats come in on ships and they come over from lots of different places. So it is possible that we could get any number of different sorts of things like the bubonic plague um, on our rats. Is the bubonic plague still active in parts of the world? It is. So we've had numerous outbreaks of bubonic plague in the last several years. I think in the last, can't even give you the numbers, but it's definitely been more than 10 in the last four or five years. Wow. And does it still kill you like overnight? Um, that's a really good question. I don't think a lot of our outbreaks have necessarily been in people. Like they find it in rodents and you get outbreaks in that way. Um, there are treatments for it. So luckily now when we catch it early, we actually have a way to treat it. So we don't have like the big die offs like we saw back in England. (laughs) Where like a quarter of the population (laughs) died. So in terms of your interdisciplinary degree, how does that work? Like what kind of departments are you tied into? So, um, As a UBC student, I'm also part of this thing called the Bridge Program here at UBC. And part of my degree then with interdisciplinary studies and the Bridge Program is to bridge the gaps between engineering. So how we engineer our environments, for example, to minimize contact with rats. Um, Public health. So what are the risks of rat fleas to people? And then policy. What policies exist around uh, rat-associated diseases? And if there aren't any, what should be in place? Wow. So engineering biology, any other departments that you work with? Uh, no, right now, mostly. So my two home departments are the school population public health oh, okay. and zoology. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. Yeah, because I'm interested in the interdisciplinary degree myself. So I just wasn't sure how it worked. Oh, but. yeah. No, it's it's a very, um, it's a great way to attack questions that don't necessarily fit into one box. Right. I'm a year of the rat. I've always had a certain affection for rats. Oh, excellent. Um, but um, those ones downtown are big. They're very big. Yeah, they're hardy. They're doing well. I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. Um, So if anything, you're thriving, really. Yeah, we're thriving for sure. (laughs) We're crafty, resourceful. We're thriving. So um, how did you get involved in Nerd Night? So um, when I was doing my master's, I did my master's in Edmonton, uh, which is where I'm from. And a girlfriend of mine took me to an event nerd night Edmonton I went I really liked it and afterwards I went up to the presenters and said I would love to present on um, a topic that I was really interested in which is how parasites manipulate their hosts (gasps) to do crazy things (gasps) yeah 
Oh. So um, I went in and gave the talk. Loved it. It was so fun. You know, you get free beer. You get a nerdy crowd. They heckle you a little bit. It's a really good time. Um, And I thought, okay, well, when I move to Vancouver for my PhD, I will volunteer with one there. But there wasn't one here yet. So we decided to start one. Wow. So can you just give me like one example of how a parasite manipulates his host? Um, Nothing too traumatizing. Nothing too traumatizing. Uh, One that I've always really liked is this um, trematode called dichrosoelium. And it infects snails, ants, and cows. So it'll first get into the snail. um, And then it will come out in the snail slime. And little ants will come along because they love snail slime. So they'll eat the snail slime. And normally in the evening, snails will, or the ants will go underground. But The parasite doesn't like that because the parasite wants to get from the ant to the cow. So what it will do is it'll change the ant's behavior. So now instead of going under the ground where a cow can't interact with it, it will cause the ant to go up onto a blade of grass and latch on with its little mouth parts and stay there overnight, um, which is when you'll have the cows come out and feed. So it's much more likely that a cow's going to come along, eat that infected ant, and then get the infection itself. Wow. So it's clever, that little parasite. Incredibly clever. Yeah. Totally underrated. Evolution at work, everybody. Mm -hmm. Wow, Mm -hmm. that's cool. Okay, so Nicole, tell me about yourself. You said you're actually an ecologist, not a botanist. I don't even know what is is the difference. So um, right now I work at the Biodiversity Museum at UBC, so a large focus of what I do is on scientific communication, which is what I'm really excited about. Uh, Like Kaylee, I am from Edmonton as well. I did my undergrad at the University of Alberta in environmental biology, which is how the different organisms in an in an ecosystem interact with each other and the abiotic things in them. So one of the things I do really enjoy studying are plants. I worked in the herbarium, which is essentially a library of plants at the University of Alberta. And I find that they're a little bit underappreciated, but really interesting. They're much more interesting than animals or other things. So They're nice plants. They're beautiful to look at and they're mysterious. Yeah, so now you're doing more knowledge translation. So tell us what that is. Yeah, so a large part of what I do is I help facilitate um, researchers telling their stories to the public. So we, at the museum, we do a really awesome lecture series called the Way Cool Biodiversity Series where we have a different researcher come in every month. So I help them feel more comfortable with how to present to a general audience. I basically do the hard logistical stuff of getting an audience there, telling them about it, and really let the research shine through. I also um, help develop a lot of our educator resources for schools, um, a lot of our programs I help with. So it's trying to reach different groups of people in different ways. Sounds like a really fun job. It's really fun. Get to meet people and sort of the museum is beautiful. Is that the one with the dinosaur? It's actually a whale. So it's bigger than any dinosaur that's ever existed. It's the biggest animal to have ever lived. And we still have them in our oceans, which is really fabulous. Wow. Yes, let's hope they stay in our oceans. (laughs) So I'm just going to read out the little write-up for your talk. It says, let's talk about sex. Plant sex. Compared to the world of seed plants, human sex lives are relatively vanilla. Sessile and separated by meters or miles, plant partners usually need assistance to reproduce sexually. This dependence on external collaborators has created extraordinary reproductive strategies, including sensory trickery towards animals, releasing pollen en masse, and even the frustratingly lonely self-fertilization. Over thousands and millions of years, these strategies have evolved, ensuring species resilience, genetic diversity, and survival in dramatically challenging landscapes. 
Discover how plants manipulate, trick, and use tools to, to help in the need to create seeds. So what kind of things are you going to talk about well, without, at Nerd Night? <laughs> without giving too many things away, one thing I find especially fascinating is pollination and how plants essentially convince animals to do their hard work for them. Um, animals can go out and find a mate. Like, I could go to a bar and find someone that I'm going to mate with. And I couldn't, make but well, yeah. <laughs> in theory, you could. In theory. One could. Um, plants <laughs> don't have that luxury of moving around to yeah, find their partner. It's so tough. It's tough for a plant. They have to stay in one place, and yet they have to disperse over really big landscapes and one of the important parts of sexual reproduction is actually getting genetic material from both a mother and a father for lack of a better word together recombining it and making offspring that have a combination of both of those genetic materials so in order to do that the pollen from one plant of the same species has to get transferred to another flower of the same species which is very complicated so a really great example are orchids orchids are very manipulative and tricky Uh, There are some orchids that have the physical morphology that looks a lot like a wasp. So you'll have male wasps that come up to these orchids, thinking they're a lady wasp. They're ready to get their business on with this orchid. The orchid also produces a pheromone that lets the male wasps think that it's a lady wasp. As they are trying to decide what's going on with the orchid, sitting on top of it, writhing around like a male wasp (laughs) would, the orchid deposits its pollen on top of the wasp. So by the time the wasp figures out it's not actually a female wasp, it flies off with this pollen attached to it. And they're not the smartest animals. They're tricked by this again and again. So they travel to different orchids of the same species because they all look like their female partner wasps. And they'll deposit the pollen there and allowing the orchid to be pollinated, fertilized, and develop seeds. So are there male and female orchids? Or is it just like one kind of orchid? Like, how does that work? So there are infinite possibilities for the combination of males and females in plants. It gets very tricky. Orchids in particular, most of them are perfect, which means they have both the male and the female parts in them. There are plants that will have male flowers and female flowers on the same plant. There are some that will have uh, an entire plant that's all female, an entire plant that's all male. And you'll also have plants that have flowers that don't open and self-pollinate inside of them. So there's very bizarre combinations of things. But they don't have, like, relationships or anything. Like, I that's don't such a dumb question. I want to take that back. Um, <laughs> I don't know if any plants are monogamous. <laughs> <laughs> but they they don't touch or anything. It's like, it, it is it always pollen that plants mate, or is there any other ways plants so, mate? So, in particular, we're talking about flowering plants okay. here. So, flowering plants have a flower sounds obvious but they do and um, the flower is how the plant produces its egg and its pollen which carries its sperm so in flowering plants that's generally what happens I say generally because there's always an exception to any rule in biology there's probably some plant that doesn't use pollen Um, but in general the pollen has to get to the female parts of the flower to fertilize it so the female part of the flower has a part on it called the stigma which is like a sticky pad Um, Mm -hmm. if you think of those weird hands things you would get from vending machines as a child that's essentially what it's like so it picks up all the dusty bits picks up pollen from other species it picks up pollen from the same species it can pick up pollen from the same plant so that part of the plant is really important in filtering out what is actually going to fertilize the egg and what is just garbage essentially I was thinking of pot plants this morning because they're so they're male and female Mm -hmm. and everyone wants to get rid of the males permanently because they just ruin the female 
plants, right? Do you know anything about that? I don't know anything specifically about the horticulture of um, pot plants, but um, any time that you have um, a female or a male plant and you're reproducing them vegetatively, so I'm assuming that they're wanting to just reproduce them by cuttings and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. If you don't have seeds and you're not reproducing sexually, you don't have that diversity. So if yeah. there is a um, some sort of mutation or parasite that is particularly attracted to one type of plant, it's much more likely that all of that strain of plant will be wiped out Mm -hmm. because they're all likely to be clones of the mother plant. Yeah. So it's always a good idea to be keeping some males and females around uh, for sexual selection. There are some times when vegetative reproduction is advantageous. For example, in the Arctic, there are a lot of plants that can reproduce without sex so they can bud and make clones of themselves they know that they can survive in that harsh environment and the benefits outweigh the costs of not reproducing sexually right wow that's called sex though pollination i mean it's essentially where the sperm touches the egg it's that is sex so sexual reproduction is where a haploid cell from one plant touches a haploid cell from another plant and they recombine their DNA. Whoa. It's very romantic. Wow. So how did you get into this this particular part of plant life? I find it to be very fascinating. I think that, um, first of all, it's really the source of evolution and why we see so many amazing plants out there is because of sex and the way that they're having sex. I'm also really intrigued at the way that they manipulate animals. So a bumblebee, for example, isn't like they're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They're not seeing these poor plants not moving and not being able to touch each other. They need to be given something. So plants have also developed things like nectar. So through their evolutionary history, the plants who have had more nectar have attracted more pollinators, which have therefore spread more of their genetic material. So um, this relationship between animals and plants and also evolution, I find especially fascinating. Mm -hmm. I was reading about processional effects. Do you know that? concept I'm actually not sure so if you want to well I'm not sure either it's sort of a concept but how they illustrated it was through bees pollinating so it's this idea that you do something with a goal but as sort of a byproduct of your goal something really important happens so with the bees it's like I guess they're just feeding for nectar yeah but the byproduct or the processional effect is that they're spreading the pollen and like making food for the whole world so they don't notice that they're doing this extra thing. It's just kind of a random byproduct of, well, it's not that random, I guess, but yeah. They are not aware of the manipulation that they're under. Right. That's essentially what it is. But uh, yes, that's a great example uh, of of the processional effect as I understand it right Mm -hmm. now. Um, There are a lot of those relationships that occur that, you know, plants really take advantage of. um, And I say it in like a cognitive way. Plants aren't aware of this, but evolution has... um, really created the mechanisms for plants to benefit off of the actions that are already happening by animals. So collecting nectar for honey, that sort of thing. So it's kind of like they're very clever in the way they've evolved, yet we're not that clever in the way that we've evolved, right? Like, we do stupid things, don't we? I'm sure there are some plants out there that are duds. Um, Yeah. (laughs) They're not really doing their thing that effectively. Um, I mean, you could argue in a myriad of ways about the different evolutionary paths that we've taken. I think if you were to compare humans against one species of plants, mm-hmm. it'd be really hard to actually compare apples and oranges. Yeah. I mean, realistically, we're reproducing, we're having offspring, our offspring are surviving to have more offspring. So in an evolutionary perspective, we're all being really successful. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're just kind of ruining our 
we don't have as much foresight. <laughs> yeah, like what it's a thing in evolutionary psychology, anyways. Like this idea that the species kind of ruins its own environment, like it just overuses its own environment, and then it either dies or has to move on. And we're kind of in that place. It seems like. Yeah, there are some plants that actually manipulate their own environment. So um, a type of moss, sphagnum mosses. I'm, I also really love wetlands. So um, sphagnum mosses are ones that are commonly found in bogs. And they actually thrive in acidic ecosystems. And they um, put out acidic product into their ecosystem so that they can flourish more in that system. And in the process, they end up killing a lot of other things that live there, which is pretty interesting wow so what do you think about there's a lot of talk about bees dying off like back to the kind of pollen and nectar thing what's your understanding of that um my understanding of that is that um i really do think that we need to be more concerned about it um Mm -hmm. bees are so crucial for not only our crops but for other plants that are important in other ways so for example the plants that might shed litter into our streams that our salmon are living off of. It's not just our food crops, even though that is the most tangible way to understand the problem. Um, I've read lots of conflicting information about the reasons why um, colony collapse disorder is happening. There's a lot of theory about it. Um, But I think the biggest things that I've heard are more chemicals are in our environment. Bees are really sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're sensitive to being moved too far away from their food sources. And they can also be sensitive to the changes over winter that they're not used to. Right, like extreme climates. Yes, exactly. That's trouble. Well, wow. Like I was just looking at the clock. It's like 20 minutes just got sucked up because (laughs) I was so fascinated by what you're saying. So Nerd Night Vancouver. So this will be, I guess, the third Nerd Night. This will be our third Nerd Night. Yeah. And um, it's at Cafe du Soleil. So it's a week tonight, April 16th. Cafe du Soleil, 2096 Commercial Drive. Wednesday, April 16th at 8 p.m. Doors at 7.35. That's a good deal for a lot of knowledge and beer. Um, So Nicole Balston was just talking about plant sex. um, And she's from the BD Biodiversity Museum here at UBC. Then there's another sex talk. There's three people all together. Is that correct? Yes. Um, Sex and singularity. Nicholas Badminton. A talk that looks at how we have come to a point when technology is inevitably changing the way we have and consume sex. It also looks at how things will and must change as we head to 2045, when artificial intelligence will have progressed to the point of a greater than human intelligence. Whoa, radically changing civilization and perhaps human nature. I don't know. I don't buy it. That... Artificial intelligence will have progressed to that point. You can get a heads up on Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He studies cognitive psychologist, human interaction, and social network theory and web engagement. Um, He's the curator of From Now, a conference on humanity with technology. That looks good. Well, it's interesting. Definitely interesting topic because we are engaging with technology just like we never have before and it's changing our brains and changing the way we relate and everything else um and then dr david ing his talk is the third talk of the night on being scientific on being scientific literate i think that's misspelling no that's that's exactly how it goes oh it's meant to confuse you yeah, I think, well, it's it's the whole idea about being scientific literate. So um, being able to speak 
with scientific knowledge and using some of that understanding. Um, usually we hear that phrase as science literacy, but you yourself would become scientific literate. Wouldn't it be scientifically literate? I don't know if I've heard it used that way. No, because scientifically would be an adjective, and it's not really the point of it. You're wanting to be literate in scientific knowledge. So it's one of those interesting interactions between words, I think. Okay. On being scientific literate, particularly as it relates to unicorns. So his talk will explore the concept concept of scientific literacy, which is often something that is usually hard to fully imagine. It is a moving target and its parameters are a little messy at the best of times. Uh, he'll try to encapsulate some of the key elements of being scientific literate and why it's important for members of the general public to be aware of these nuances, especially as it pertains to civics. And also as an awesome force to be reckoned with, all in capital letters. There will also be unicorns in my talk. I mean, that sounds awesome. And he's got quite, uh, he's got uh, a Twitter feed, at NG underscore Dave. Um, he's partially responsible for the massive DNA helix emblazoned on his building's facade, I guess the biotech building. It's it, the Michael Smith. Okay. Okay, not the not the neuron one, the ones that are supposed to be neurons but don't look like neurons. It's the one by the um, bookstore that kind of look like random colors. They're actually a DNA sequence. Okay, so he's partially responsible. His dad beat up Bruce Lee. Is that true? Yeah, you really need to go to the link, though, to understand the full context behind it. Okay. Um, his first foray into general publishing featured a unicorn. I mean, I'm sold right there. Um, so... That looks like a great, super nerdy night. Yeah, we're really excited about it. Um, all of our presenters have great backgrounds in their subjects, and they're really great presenters. I think, as you've seen from Nicole already, she's very scientific literate, and um, and Dave is an extremely passionate speaker, yeah. and he's really engaging. That's what makes it nerdy, because people, it's like this scientific literate topic, but people are like so passionate and narrowed in. That's what makes it funny and good, right? So is it only kind of science, biological sciences, or is it kind of arts or other ways of being nerdy? Yeah, so this um, this month we have two very sciencey talks, um, but generally it's open to any range of topics. We've I've seen topics on Swiss watches, there have been topics on, um, when I was in Edmonton, there was an Edmonton music uh, electronic scene talk. Um, it's really all down to the presenters that come to us with pitches for their talks. Um, and then we try to provide a range of talks on every s given night. Um, so it's not always going to be so science-based, but um, this month it just happens to be. Well, good for you for starting Nerd Night Vancouver. I think it's fantastic. Oh, thanks. It's a joint effort. Um, there's two other co-bosses. Uh, uh, Brandon Doty is another co-boss, and Michael Unger is also another co-boss. Excellent. Well, thank you. Um, and... So you can check that out at www.vancouver.nerdnight.com. And uh, that's spelled N-I-T-E, Nerd Night. Uh, so that looks fantastic. Next Wednesday, April 16th at Cafe du Soleil, $5 at the door. Starts at 8 p.m. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Kaylee us. and Nicole. It was really great uh, to have you on and talk about parasites, rats, plants, having sex. <laughs> You'll never look at the springtime in the same way. No, no, I, I actually, as you're talking, it's just, wow, it's pretty miraculous, you know, how the world works. And we are not even aware of it. You know, we just kind of go along, not appreciating it. So it's nice to get that perspective. Mm -hmm. I agree.
Well, we're just going to go to some public service announcements, and we'll be right back with the Versus Festival of Words. Are you not sure where to go on campus? Traveling late at night and afraid to go alone? Call SafeWalk, a free service where a co-ed team will take you anywhere you need to go on campus. Don't walk alone. For a walk, add SafeWalk to your phone. Call 604-822-5355. That's 604-822-5355. Alternatively, use a UBC Blue phone and ask for SafeWalk. Approach any SafeWalk team or drop by our office on the main floor of the sub across from the gallery lounge. Because you're mine, I walk the line. Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. Hi, we're back on CITR 101.9 FM. You're listening to The Arts Report, and I'm your host, Sarah Lapsley. So that was fun to have guests from Nerd Night Vancouver. Now, CITR is sponsoring the Versus Festival of Words, and it's been going since April 5th, goes until April 12th, so definitely check it out. There's lots of great literacy events. Um, And I'm going to talk about a few tonight. One is, and we hope to get him into the studio, it didn't work out. Um, He's on his way back from Victoria. His name is Ekena Open Secret Onyegbola, and he's been a spoken word performance poet for five years. So he was born in Nigeria, raised on three different continents. I believe he's from Ottawa, Um, and he's been competing locally in the Ottawa Poetry Slam scene since the fall of 2007. So his work focuses on an array of diverse topic and subject matters from historical biographies to social justice issues, utilizing performance to get into the crux of an ever-changing set of circumstances in order to challenge audiences to engage with a vast spectrum of emotions. He has won numerous accolades for his work and has performed all over Canada, the U.S., and Europe. He's also the member of a member of the four there's four of them, the spoken word troupe, the recipe. And they've toured with a lot of cool like acts like chaos and stuff. Ikenna has been able to further develop his craft and his and enhance his passion for performance poetry. He also writes he's self published four poetry chat books called Ones Until September and If Prayers Were Answered, One and Two. And he runs performance and writing workshops in Ottawa for youth and adults. So he is a community organizer, loves to promote events, and he's working on his first, first full anthology of poetry and, and a novel um, entitled Quietus. So he's won an awards in 2012. He was a finalist in the World Poetry Slam Champions, and he's really, really good. I'm going to play something in a minute. But he's doing two events as part of the Versus Festival of Words. The first one is tomorrow night, April 10th. It's at 1230, uh, so noon. And it's a workshop at the Havana Theater, 1212 Commercial Drive. 
and he's going to be doing a masterclass, spoken word masterclass. So he says, performing spoken word poetry at the highest level is not only achieved through the mastering of different technical concepts. Uh, What are some of the more nuanced emotional and intuitive aspects of performance? This workshop will explore what it means to embody your poetry on stage and connect to your audience from a more natural and holistic perspective. Using his own experiences and successes of foundation, Akena will expose and discuss some of the more nuanced and creative approaches to turning the odds in your favor in Poetry Slam. So I'm just going to play a clip of his and then we're going to get someone on the phone from the Versus Festival Awards to talk about another event that's coming up, um, the Litany Queer Reading Series. Um, We'll be talking to Esther in a minute. So here is Akena Open Secret. And he's got a cool clip here. It's called Poetry's Been Cheating on Me. So here we go. So I just recently found out the poetry's been cheating on me. And at first I was shocked. My anger swelled. Then my temperature dropped as my heart fell into a pot of boiling pity where pain compelled me to make love to hate in Heartbreak Hotel. It was hell. Sorrow punched and blinded me. My back up third eye back down from the beef. And the fact that poetry was unfaithful kept me in a narcotic state of disbelief. All I kept asking myself was why me? After all this time I loved her. How could she? She'd been cheating like the cheaters on my 42 inch screen TV showing the biography of Casanova's life in the bureaucracy while engaging women in adultery. I caught poetry on top of psychology. Fornicating with religion and philosophy. Sandwiched between music and history. And I said, hey, the sandwich, I'm used to music the muse upon poetry in my history you see she'd been giving herself away like philanthropy to the masses in the classes in the school of thought where the forces of good and evil fought for control she was my very heart and soul r&b jazz and blues in one hole she gave me the tools to carve a life out of patience and persistence carve a life out of love and the skill to twist words until my twisted words were completely free of verbs and i had to rearrange the alphabet to find new words you see poetry has been good to me thus far and i still somehow want to accommodate her because nobody drives my tears quite like her she taught me how to bleed through the pen, transform my anger into lines of hope on paper. She's been good to me, really good, but of course not as good as she was to the greats like Whitman, Neruda, Kipling, Milton, Byron, or Robert Frost. Oh my God, poetry's been cheating on me. I found a cell in the body in the spoken word scene where poets would taste her. This bit of rock, like the deepest clean of Listerine. She was washing the dirt from the mouth of most rappers who had nothing to their society. I was so distraught that she couldn't just be mine before Ben Jerome, I mean Gemini, hit me with his classic poem, poetic bloodlines. And when I walked from my trance, I realized the poetry was a gift to all mankind to see I love her and I know she loves me back she's my weapon my number one plan of attack feeding me a verbal dosage of linguistic crack which I inhale until my nostrils turn black to help me compose in a life full of woe 365 days full of prose 52 weeks and my potency grows she kisses my vocal cords and gives me reach so without her seven days at a time I am weak without her my hours and months don't exist she loves me she loves me not my negro peach I want to caress the nouns singing in plural vowels or consonants and all the other parts of her speech I want to make love to her every round so explicitly that our flow becomes a crime and I want to touch her similes in inappropriate ways have her metaphors rearrange large amounts of space in my brain changing the frequency of my brain waves and I want to be random and I want to be abstract and I want to tell her that if her ass is anything like my addiction to her well, that must mean she got like the biggest, fattest booty ever. You see, I love her. I wanted to 
always remind me when she's by my side, I know I'm alright. Life's worries may keep me up at night, but nothing compares to the emptiness I feel when I cannot write poetry. So I just recently found out the poetry's been cheating on me, and there is nothing I can do but accept it, and there is nothing I can do but embrace it, and there is nothing I can do but tell her I love her too. So I picked up the phone, changed my mind, put down the phone, picked up my coat, walked to the lobby, and I checked out of the Heartbreak Hotel. Because the way I see it, for my poetry to take me to heaven, well, we must first keep going through hell, but I can just see it now, the two of us, in a menage to our success, as we bid failure goodbye, adios and farewell. Oh, that was really good. I cannot open secret on Yegbula. And uh, wow, I really wish I had been able to get him into the studio tonight. That would have been so cool. But right now I have Esther on the phone. I'm just going to see if she's there. Hello? Hi. Yay, you're here. I got, always get so excited when I get someone on the phone. It worked. Yay. So Esther, tell me about yourself. Sure. Anything in particular you want to know? Well, um, just what you do and how you got involved in the Versus Festival of Words. Okay, yeah. um, So, let's see. Well, my name is Esther. Uh, I use the pronoun they. That's my usual beginning intro. Um, And I'm currently an MFA student at UBC in creative writing. So I'm uh, slogging my way through my thesis, which is a novel. And I'm one of the co-organizers of the Litany Queer Reading Series, um, which was invited to put on our event as part of Versus. So that, I mean, it was a really easy involvement. We just got asked to do the event and said yes. So you've done these reading series before, is that right? Yeah, that's right. This is our fifth one coming up. But then it says here that this will be the last one under this name? Yeah, we'll be changing our name after this event to something exciting, hopefully. (laughs) Who knows what it's going to be. Um, that remains to be seen. Okay, so overall, what has your uh, reading series been like? Um, it's, I mean, it's been great. It's been really fun. It's a showcase for emerging and established queer writers. So it's been, which when I say that, I mean that actually doesn't mean a lot in terms of universal content or theme or anything like that. Um, so it's been just like a huge variety of Amazing performers, uh, challenging and inspiring and beautiful content, um, getting to know lots of people from all over, different queer scenes in Vancouver. So yeah. it's, an, it's not so much about a common theme in the work, but rather creating a space for people. Yeah, that's right. I think the, a big impetus for, for Leah and I in starting the series was feeling a lack of, like, rad... Um, performance showcase, well, it's not, I mean, it's performance showcase is kind of a loose way to say that. It's really a reading space. Like, it's really for, uh, I mean, any poetry, prose, whatever. We've had graphic form as be presented, um, but it's really supposed to be kind of writing-focused is the idea. So not not music or anything like that, usually. But, um, yeah, we, we just felt like a lack of rad, safe space, places where we could go and feel like ourselves and, and read our work and and feel like we're reading to our people. Excellent. So it's, yeah. it says, the Litany, this is from the website, the Litany Queer Reading Series aims to support and showcase emerging and established LGBTQ... The longest acronym in the world. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I get stuck on the I. Yeah. The I's yeah. intersex. Is that right? Yeah. LGBTQ. 
two for two-spirited, yeah, Q for right. queer, I for intersex writers through a quarterly reading series with an anti-oppressive framework. What does that mean? The anti-oppressive framework piece of it? Mm-hmm. Um, it means that what we're trying to do is push beyond having kind of a mainstream queer space, I think. So it means that we pay attention to things like race in our on our stage. We pay attention to things like accessibility and ableism and um, sexism and all that kind of stuff that that it's easy to, you know, say, oh, it's a queer space, therefore we don't need to think about any of those things. Right. Um, so we find a lot of that comes up if we don't think about it. And what we really want to do is create a space where people can perform um, and and feel, like, really supported. Yeah. It sounds like a nice place to just feel at home and be welcomed. I hope so. That's the idea. Yeah. yeah. So your show is tomorrow night, mm-hmm. uh, the Litany Queer Reading Series. Um, doors at 7 p.m. 7.30. 7.30. Show yeah. starts at 8. 7, you're going to have to wait. Okay. <laughs> and it is at the Havana Theater, 1212 Commercial Drive. I think a lot of the events are being held there. So 8 p.m. tomorrow night. And some of, and so you're one of the hosts, Esther McPhee, and then mm-hmm. Leah Horlick. Um, and then you've got quite a few artists here. So why don't you tell me about a few of them? Yeah, so we've got six readers for our event tomorrow. We normally have six. That's kind of our ideal um, performance structure for the show. And we have one feature reader every time. And our feature reader for this event tomorrow is Alessandra Nacarado, um, who's already a big part of the community that Versus is kind of supporting and showcasing. So we're really excited to have her be our feature um, and I know her because we're right now we're in the same MFA program, so we have poetry class together and get to sit beside each other and talk poetry, which is fun. Um, and I'm really excited to see and hear her work. It's going to be amazing. Her stuff is really great. <clears throat> and then we have, oh, we got so many exciting people. Um, a- we've got a really great local lineup for tomorrow. Um, Carvin Lee? Yeah, Carvin is someone that I'm looking forward to getting to know a little bit more, actually. Um He's going to be reading, I, I'm not sure if it's a piece from a novel, but it's, it's some really fun and science fiction-y fiction. Um, so that's going to be great. I'm excited to hear that. Um, and Kona is going to be performing, and she's got a really interesting mix of straight-up writing and, and more like theatrical performance that's going to happen. So a little bit monologue, poetry kind of moving between the two, challenging some of those boundaries. Um, Adrienne Gruber? Yeah, she is um, a poet that we've been wanting to have come read at our series for some time, so I'm really excited that she's going to be here tomorrow. Um, And she's reading about, I think, um, sea creatures, sex, and having babies, something like that. It's going to be good. Um, And then Kim Kim Mortal is going to be in, too, and she's just about to release um, her first album, I believe, which I don't think she'll have ready for the event tomorrow, but it's going to be amazing. Um, and she's an amazing multidimensional artist, like music, visual arts, writing, all that stuff. She's great. Um, and I think... Raven? Yeah, Raven's our last reader, right? Raven um, Salander? Yeah, so I actually, I haven't met Raven yet. I'm really excited to. Um, I've seen her work, and it's fantastic, and I'm super stoked to meet her, Leah hooked that up and I've heard really good things about her so I'm excited to see you must be excited yeah I am I feel like it's fun to host and it's fun to organize and it's a lot of work 
all those things. Um, but when I've got a show, like like this time, every time really, I've just felt like I can't wait to see the show. Mm-hmm. That's a good feeling. So it's Poetry Month, is it? April? It is Poetry Month, yeah. And you like to write poetry as well? Sometimes I write some poetry. <laughs> and what else do you do in your work uh, doing your master's um, in fine arts? I'm working on... What else do I do? That's a good question. Um, so, yeah, I write poetry. I'm working on um, a young adult novel, which is my thesis project. Um, and I've also done picture book writing, creative nonfiction, uh, random weird projects. But those are kind of my my main genres that I float around in. Excellent. And is there anything else at the Versus Festival of Words that you want to see? There are so many things I want to see. I've wanted to see everything. I've wanted to be at all the talks, and I should be because I have a festival pass as part of as like being an organizer. But it's also the end of my semester. Yeah. So it's been really tight, unfortunately. But I would encourage everyone to check it out because there's only well, there's tonight, and then there's two more nights after that. Yes. Um, and there's just so much good stuff happening. There is. Well, great, Esther. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thanks for having me so much. And I know your event will go well. And keep us posted about the name change. Right now, you can find information at the litanyqueerreadingseries.tumblr.com. That's right, yeah. And then you can also check out more about the Litany Queer Reading Series on www.versusfestival.ca. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you so much. All right, thanks. Okay, talk to you again. Bye. Take care. Bye. That was Esther McPhee talking about the Litany Queer Reading Series. And we're also giving away tickets. Yay to the Poetry Slam. So let's see if I can get you some information around that. The Canadian Indie Poetry Slam Championships. And you can go. It is, I think... It's the last night, so it's it starts tomorrow night, April tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. So, it's it says the rules are simple. Each bout will consist of eleven poets. The poet receives a ranking according to their scores for each poem. The top twelve poets with the best rankings for preliminaries advance to the Canadian Individual Finals Night. Um, so it seems to be pretty complicated but I think um and the 12th April 12th will be the last night and that's the night we have a ticket to give away so you can see the finalists and they'll be really good in top form and so I think the winning poet receives a thousand dollars and then, and on top of that, they get an all-expenses-paid trip to represent English Canada at the World Cup of Poetry in Paris. So that should be exciting to see someone win a thousand bucks and a trip to Paris. Like that will be one happy person. Um, and there'll be some amazing poets like slamming each other. So I'm going to post that on our social media, the Arts Report on Facebook or CITR underscore Arts Report on Twitter. So definitely take advantage of those tickets. I'm going to tell you about something else now. Then I'm going to come back and tell you about one more event at the the Versus Festival Awards that's happening tonight. So I wanted to talk about Optica Delusions. It's an 
opera and I have tickets to go this weekend um, there's the, there's only two showings of it April 11th at 1245 p.m. a lunchtime show tickets are usually very cheap for a student it's $15 um, put on by the UBC opera so the first show is April 11th at 1245 p.m. and then April 12th at 7 p.m. the old auditorium UBC 6344 Memorial Road that's a beautiful old um Auditorium. So the book is by Paula Rosen and Joshua Morris. The music and lyrics are by Paula Rosen. Nancy Hermiston is the director and Richard Epp is the conductor. So it's a lighthearted musical, Optica Delusions. I thought it was an opera, but no, it's a lighthearted musical that was shortlisted at the New York Musical Theater Festival in 2010 and 2011. Uh, the story is Iris is a right-eyed princess who sees beyond the horizons of her palace in the kingdom of right. Seymour, a left-eyed prince, also wants to expand his view past his cloistered existence in Leftenborg. When fate brings them together, they see eye to eye despite their different perspectives. But can their interocular relationship stop a war and bring down the walls that separate their communities? I don't know, but I'm going to play a little excerpt uh, from Paula Rosen's website. She's the composer and uh, writer. Just a couple of minutes expert uh, excerpt called You Built These Walls. So this is an example of the kind of music you'll see at Optica D Delusions uh, this weekend. So I'll just be right back. This is Paula Rosen with an excerpt from Optica Delusions, You Built These Walls. We need more Okay, I won't put you in <laughs> through any more of that. That was an excerpt from Optical Delusions. You know what? I don't know if I'm going to go. Uh, April 11th at 12.45 p.m. April 12th at 7.30 p.m. Um, but you should go because I bet it'll be cool. UBC Opera is really good at the old auditorium on 6344 Memorial Road. So back to the Versus Festival of Words. Please do check it out. Uh, CITR is sponsoring the event. You can see everything, lots of great blogging and photos and videos and information about the events on www.versusfestival.ca. Remember, we're giving away tickets on social media, which I'll, I'll post those around um, t for the uh, Poetry Slam championships, the Canadian Individual Poetry Slam finals, April 12th at 8 p.m., 
the top 12 poets from preliminaries advance to this bout. Who will claim the title of 2014 Canadian Individual Poetry Slam champion? The closing gala includes a feature presentation by Vancouver Poet Poet Laureate Evelyn Lau. So poets and finals will be performing three-minute poems. Um, And so then they'll start first round, 12 poets, then the top seven highest scoring poets will move to the second round then the top four highest scoring poets move to the third and final round the highest scoring poet in the third round becomes the canadian individual poetry slam champion so uh it looks good highly competitive um so check out the details that's april 12 2014 at 8 p.m at the rio theater 1660 east broadway so uh, we're giving away tickets, so keep an eye out for that on our social media page. Tonight, there's an event, um, Gender Failure. It's going to be one of the highlights of the Festival Ves- Versus Festival Awards. That's Ray Spoon and Ivan E. Coyote. I've known Ivan for a long time. Um, two of Canada's most treasured and celebrated trans artists, Ivan Coyote and Ray Spoon, present their acclaimed multimedia show, Gender Failure, featuring featuring animation and video elements from Seattle artist Clyde Peterson. Through visuals, words, sounds, and original music, Gender Failure explores and exposes the prolific pair's failed attempts at fitting into the gender binary and ultimately how the gender binary doesn't add up. Coyote brings their razor-sharp timing and powerful narrative, while Spoon adds an ethereal voice and poetic turns of phrase to the dynamic duo's now seven-year-old artistic partnership. It's also the official book launch of Gender Failure, which is a collection of their autobiographical essays, lyrics, and images, documenting Ivan and Ray's personal journeys from gender failure to gender self-acceptance. Ivan, I don't know about Ray's writing, but Ivan is so funny I just love it. Um, And there's been a few books published, uh, Equal Parts Hilarious and Heartbreaking. It's a book that will touch LGBTQ readers and others, uh, that gender comes in more than two sizes. So that's tonight at 8 p.m. Where is it? The Rio Theater, 1660 East Broadway. So 8 p.m., definitely check it out. And thanks to Megan Thomas, who is our former arts director and co-host of the arts report she actually moved on um and is working as the publicist for the versus festival and she's done a super amazing job um getting the word out about these events so sorry we weren't able to uh get ikenna here tonight um that's my loss for sure but check out the events please and keep an eye out for those tickets so i'm just gonna leave you with a song by Ray Spoon, who I was just talking about. But next week, please come back. Next week, Wednesday the 16th, I've got uh, Rohit, one of our arts reporters, going to see Proud. It's a new play at the Fire Hall about Stephen Harper, like the biggest jerk in the world, Stephen Harper. Uh, it's supposed to be funny, but let's just vote the guy out. Let's... Let's just get this guy out of our hair, Stephen Harper. Uh, We'll be talking about Mrs. Warren's Profession, a play by George Bernard Shaw. I'm a fan of his. He's born on my birthday, July 26th. And that's about sex trade, a woman who works in the sex trade. And it's sort of contextualized sort of in the downtown east side. It's actually held right in the downtown east side at the historic rickshaw theater. So uh, we'll have somebody on 
about that. I'm also going to see a, a play about a serial killer, Killer Joe, it's called, and it's held in the um, parking lot of the Italian Cultural Center. So we'll have all that and more. So thank you for tuning in to the Arts Report. That was a really fast hour. Um, and so I'm just going to leave you with Ray Spoon. This one's called London Destroyer. And please come back next week and stay tuned to CITR throughout the week for great indie programming. So take care.